Welcome to My Dream Big Clubs podcast, where we look to inspire and motivate you to dream big. And I'm your host, Sean Phillips. The conversation you're going to hear is about focusing on things we can control pertaining to our personal and professional lives. As you think about it, there are just so many attractive distractions from new business ideas to products that work that we do but don't really move the needle to us even spending time worrying about other people's lives and what they should or should not do. Our guest breaks it down in bite-sized pieces on how to focus on things you can control. But listen, ultimately, by the end of this episode, I want you to create one to two action steps you can start doing tomorrow. Let's go. It's like you have to cut your teeth. You have to pay your dues. You have to learn the what, the why, and the how. And then once you have a pretty firm grasp on that, you have more opportunities to, uh, to segue into other parts. I think where people tend to mess up is they quickly want to jump to the C-suite or they quickly want to jump to the top. And you can quickly get out over your skis if you don't know the basic mechanics of the business that you're in. That's Jonathan Garrett. Jonathan has an extensive background in the oil and gas industry and has developed great opportunities for himself. He believes that you're able to craft your career simply by putting your best foot forward and asking yourself, would my company be happy with the type of work I'm producing? In this episode, Jonathan also renders some great financial advice on how to get started with investing and the most important thing to do before you should even think about investing. Let's find out how. So let's kick it off by asking the question, who is Jonathan Garrett? Hey, thanks for having me today. So who is Jonathan Garrett? So I would say I'm an engineer by training that fell in love with the oil and gas business early, but still really liked the stock market and how companies made money or lost money and then sort of segued into the technology space uh, as well as the analytics uh, part of the business over the last couple of years. So that's why I'd say from a career standpoint who I am. But other than that, like the volunteer, help out, you know, have a good time on the weekend. Perfect, perfect. So oil and gas, like how did you, how did you get involved and how did, how did you find that career? And the reason why I asked that question is on this podcast, we're looking to inspire and motivate people, help them with whatever part of the life, their life they're they're pursuing or they're they're going after. So for you, seeing that you've been in there for 12 years, how did you get involved with oil and the gas? Yeah, how did I get involved in oil and gas? Good question. So um, I'm from the Detroit area, so not not a lot of oil and gas are around there. But I was at the University of Michigan at a dinner for I think it was a scholarship or some type of a, a award or something to that effect. And I was at the table, and at that point, I was all set to join uh, kind of a standard consulting firm or small engineering company. And the lady at my table, Jonathan, you know, you have your whole life to work behind a desk. Um, wouldn't it be cool to travel the world and take helicopters to work? It's kind of like this go army type of speech. And I was asking her, well, like, what are you talking about? Where do you work? And she told me about this company. Uh, which I had never heard of, called Slumberjay, which is a really, really big oil field services company. And I said, you know what? That sounds really interesting. And I went through the interview process, and I found myself on a rig in the Gulf of Mexico, taking helicopter, you know, learning the oil and gas business from the bottom up. And you know, that's how I kind of got into it. So while you were there, you talk about your experience because I know there's you're you're in the middle of the Gulf. It's some is it just a very no, you know, all safety, um, like, like, is there high, um, excitement? Like, like what, what was that experience like? Yeah. 
there's a, uh, I mean, I think working offshore is one of the most interesting things I've done in my life because I guess a couple of different things. One, yes, safety is absolutely critical. That's number one for everyone that's on there. But there's very few jobs in the world where you have PhDs from MIT working shoulder to shoulder with some folks that hadn't finished high school yet, all working on the same type of project. So from an academic standpoint, you learn a lot because you're actually on the engineering project physically. And then from a sort of interpersonal relationship type of uh, growth environment, I mean, it's remarkable because everyone comes from a different background, different education, different goals, different backgrounds and, and things to that effect. And you're all working on the same set of goals. My experience offshore has been uh, invaluable. So from that experience um, and connecting to what you're doing now as a managing director, how, how has that helped you and how has that kind of shaped you to who you are to understand the sector more in your current role? Yeah, I'd say a, a couple different ways. So, so one way is that you can't, given the situation that you're in, it's tough to figure out how that's going to help or hurt you in the future. So when I was working offshore, I was learning a lot, but I was working long hours. And I said, you know, how is this going to really help me? I'm just on a rig with a couple other guys, you know, doing something on a computer. But as I progressed in my career from being a field engineer to now working in the, you know, the technology side of the business, part of the credibility that I was able to establish was a function of what I used to do coming up. So had I jumped purely into more of like a corporate role, you know, wearing a jacket and a tie, and having a PowerPoint slide, you know, I still would have been okay. But the people who also have done business or have long careers in oil and gas have a real appreciation for the grit that's required uh, to actually work in the field before taking more of an office job. And I think that's pretty applicable, not even just to oil and gas, but to anything else. It's like you have to cut your teeth. You have to pay your dues. You have to learn the what's, the why's, and the how. And then once you have a pretty firm grasp on that, you have more opportunities to, uh, to segue into other parts. I think where people tend to mess up is they quickly want to jump to the C-suite or they quickly want to jump to the top. And you can quickly get out over your skis if you don't know the basic mechanics of the business that you're in. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so in the career that you've been, because um, you've been there the past 12 years, so you, you've seen oil prices at some, some high, high levels and you've seen oil prices drop quite a bit. Um, and I, the reason why I'm mentioning that is because in, in your career, you've been through some potentially ups and downs pertaining to your sector. Um, how, how have you been able to, to manage that and to cope with being able to, you know, keep your head uh, level set in, in the things that you need to do? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I've seen oil at 140 and I've seen oil that's in the, in the, in the 30s. But, you know, one thing I will say is you can't see around corners and the key, I think, for anyone is to focus on the things that you can control. So you can control what time you get to work, you know, when you leave, to a certain extent, the projects that you work on and how much effort you want to get. Those are the things that you can, you can't control macroeconomic events or the price of a commodity or layoffs or booms or busts. Those are the things that you can't. So I think the best thing that you can do is focus on uh, making meaningful contributions to the team that you're a part of. And then secondly, uh, making sure that the relationships that you establish with those around you and your wider circle in the industry are as firm as possible. Because at the end of the day, whether you're in oil and gas or you're in tech or you're in you know, pharma or healthcare, it doesn't matter. Decisions aren't made per se with computers. Uh, they're made by human beings. And the folks like you, 
they know your drive, they know your work ethic, they know your track record, they're more likely to give you a shot. And I think it can be a little bit, uh, it's easy to have this sort of myopic view. I, I need to work on this project. This is my role. But you need to step maybe two steps back and say, what is the bigger picture? Who are people who are decision makers in the space? And how can I do my best to in earnest get to know them a little bit better? So in the event that something good or bad you know, happens in life, you have the ability to call on people in your circle to, to support you. So you mentioned making meaningful contributions, which I think is a, is a great uh, lesson that, that, or lesson and statement that you mentioned. So if we can kind of elaborate on that a little bit more, where we have people that are in different you know, parts of their, their career. And for those that are in their career and they're looking for the way that they can be noticed, whether they're looking for that promotion or they're looking for the ability to, to shine in whatever manner that they want to, how does one really find those opportunities that they're making meaningful contributions? That's a good question. Um, I'd say it's going to depend on the company and the industry, but there's a few, I think, tenets that, you know, thread through, I think, everything. I think one of them is, uh, this is probably, you probably heard this from your folks, you know, don't show up on time, show up early. Uh, do what you say that you're going to do when you say that you're going to do it. And whatever your work product is, whether it be a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint, you have to ask yourself, would I feel comfortable having this work product being seen by everyone in my company or by the senior leadership of my organization? And if the answer is, ah, well, you know, kind of maybe, then you're not doing, you're not doing it right. So it's easy on a Thursday or a Friday afternoon, you know, you're looking at your watch, you want to you know, head out a little bit early to meet some friends up. But if you have to turn something in by a certain time, are you proud of having your name attached to it? And just like sports, you know, if you're in the gym, if you're running the plays, if you're listening to the coach, if you do enough of the right things repetitively or over and over again, good things tend to happen. So going back to your question on things that you can do, show up on time, keep your word, and be proud of having your name attached to your work. And if you're not, don't send it in. You'll have to tweak it a bit. One of the other things that's also useful and quite helpful, and I mentioned a little bit on the relationships, is it's, it's easy to find people that are senior to you that you can talk to maybe for advice, but don't do that at the expense of not getting to know the people who are in your peer group who are around your age. Because what tends to happen, and this is really big in oil and gas, is you have a whole bunch of folks that are about to retire and you have a bunch of folks who just started and really no one in the middle. So what's going to happen is over the next several years, we're all going to come up together in the same industry. And the person who was right next to you in the cubicle might now be the VP over a department. So don't turn in that relationship in favor of the guy that's going to retire or the gal that's going to retire in two years. Uh, you need to equally you know, manage up, look towards the top, who can mentor you, who's in a position of senior leadership. But then at the same time, uh, do right by the people who are at your level and below you. Uh, you know, don't sacrifice that as well. Yeah, I think that's a it's, a it's a strong oversight that a lot of times people are they're trying to go to the top or they want that mentor at the top or they want to get just advice from the top. And to what you're saying is like your colleagues, uh, one, they can get to the top as well, and two is like these are colleagues that you can be working with um, side by side. So so get to know them. So I think that's great. Um, from what you're saying though. You know, show up early, do what you say you're gonna, going to do, and to be able to put a good product that you believe senior leadership would, would like. These are all things that you're saying from a perspective of a leader, right? So these are probably things that you're probably looking forward to 
um, the people that are, are, are working on your team. So what would you say are the, the most important things in being a good leader? Ooh, important things to being a good leader. Um, I would say don't treat people like you would want to be treated, but treat other people like they would want to be treated. Nice. Um, different people are motivated by different things. And if I look to what motivates Jonathan, um, it's probably not going to be the same thing that motivates everyone on my team. So I think before you can start you know, coming up with plans for people's development or barking orders, you really need to get to know what's driving the folks on your team and then make sure their directives are, are done or established through the lens of what's interesting and compelling and you know, gets them out of bed. So I think that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, I would say you can really show your strength or show your leadership in two ways or one of two ways. You can either push people down or you can pull people up. And I think really effective leaders do a great job of pulling people up. Um, the way that I like to think about it is I've done a good job when I can work myself out of the job. So how can I promote people on my team? How can I not necessarily diminish my role, but not make me you know, the critical linchpin in an organization? So I think what people get it backwards is they want to make themselves ultra critical and ultra valuable, but making themselves the single point of failure is actually a bad thing. So if you do an amazing job of working yourself out of a position, the company will see that and you'll get another interesting position. That's how you get promoted. Um, there's a great expression. I forgot who said, who, who said it, but you might know. But it's uh, B players hire C players and A players hire A players. So you always want to be leveling up your team. Every time I have to hire someone, I ask myself, is there a good chance that they're going to be in the top 20% of the folks that are currently on the team? So I just want to keep leveling up. And that's not any type of, of knock to the people that are on the team, but it hopefully encourages the cream to rise to the top. You know, we work in a really collaborative environment, uh, industry and, and company, but I want there to be a healthy amount of competition between folks on the team. You know, you want to do better when your teammates are, are doing a great job. Do you look at a lot of data to really understand, you know, who's doing well or, or just data to drive your decisions in general, uh, very goal-oriented, um, even, you know, whether it's personal or, or career-wise, are you one to have good metrics? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say there's two major buckets, the way that I, I think about career, personal life, and everything in between. Uh, there's the what, and then there's the how. So there's the what is, did you accomplish goal A or task X, Y, and Z? And then there's the how. It's like, what is the method and what is what are the traits? Like, how did you go about accomplishing it? And I think sometimes we focus on the what and discount the importance of the how. So for me, I just want to make sure I do right by people, by organizations, by my, my friends and colleagues and everyone in between. But at the same time, I do it in a way that I'm proud of because I think it's easy to get short-sighted to get the win. But if you're trying the, the medium and the long-term game, I think the how comes into play. Because you don't want to work with people or get to know people or be friends and do business with folks that do business consistently the, the wrong way. So I think those are my, my two main, main buckets. But I think metrics are, are kind of a tricky thing because not everything can be quantified. or There's certainly a lot of qualifications that need to be had when you're sort of collecting feedback. And mm -hmm. the best way I think about that is sometimes the best brain surgeon has the worst success rate because she gets the hardest cases to solve. So I think there's a little bit of room for a gray area between uh, you know, 
quantitative versus qualitative. But I guess for me, it boils down to the what and the how. Great analogy. Great analogy. So, so let's let's talk about the what, right? Um, and I'm I'm gonna switch this over to to finances just in general. So you've always been someone that I've known to be you know pretty savvy with their finances and investing um, when it comes to that. And I've actually reached out to you for that. Um, so being able to pursue a dream requires one to have the confidence um, to be able to step out into unfamiliar territory, right? And I believe sometimes or many times people use their financial situation as a sort of barrier to being able to spread their wings or going after their goals. So let's look at it from a perspective of eliminating finances as an excuse for someone to use. Um, so Jonathan, for that person who's looking or who's working professionally, um, similar like, similarly to you, how do they start investing? Like, what do you recommend for, for that person to start investing? Because I b- believe most of Americans or most people in general are, are just not investing the way they should be. Similar to when you get on the airplane, the flight attendant will say, please secure your oxygen mask before assisting others. And I think that one of the first things that one needs to do is making sure that your own oxygen mask is secured. So what does that mean? Um, high interest credit card debt. Um, it has to, you know, before you even have a conversation about investing, you know, you, you can't be paying a, your visa bill at a 20% interest rate. It's just, you know, you're, you have a, a leaky hole in, in, in the bucket. So that's number one. Number two is the idea of an emergency fund. So, you know, no one plans for, or no one expects things to, to go south, but they often do, whether it be a, a car breaks or there's a leaky roof. And you need to have, you know, anywhere between six months to at least 12 months of living expenses in cash, ready to go, just in case, you know, something tends to pop up. And I think once that debt is down, when I say debt, I mean the high interest debt. And once there's a saving account that's established, then you can start looking at, you know, things called ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds, uh, where it takes baskets of stocks and allows you to diversify your risk. So you're not single-threaded through, you know, one or two companies that you saw on the news or you read the newspaper. Um, and then sort of over time, putting consistent amounts of money into broad-based funds that reflect things like the S&P 500, uh, that's tended to be successful over time. Because the way that I look at it is, is this. If the world economy does not continue to grow now and into the future, we certainly have bigger things to worry about. So so I think, so a lot of times, right, so I feel like you've been investing for, for quite some time, but um, let's even take it back a little bit more where um, just people just being scared to invest or to take these financial risks. What's something you would say to encourage them? Let's say they've gotten their debt down. How do you encourage people to really take advantage of that? You know, maybe you're connecting it to inflation or whatever it may be, but how do you encourage that person to take the first step? Yeah, I guess take the first step. You have to ask yourself, um, other people who have been financially successful, what have been their major characteristics? And, you know, aside from getting an inheritance, which is going to be rare, I'll, I'll certainly not get one. Um, it's usually in the capital markets or, or in the stock market or something related to, to real estate or, or business. So for the folks that are not interested in real estate or starting their own business, you have to ride the wave of, you know, human ingenuity and innovation. And a good proxy for doing that is participating in the stock market. Because I ask myself this, what is the alternative? So if you're, if you're worried or you're scared to take that leap, what's the alternative? The alternative would be to put money into, let's say, a savings account. 
And inflation historically runs anywhere between 2 to 3%. What does that mean? That means the value of a dollar um, this year compared to next year is quite different. So that value goes down slightly, let's call it 2 to 3% every year. So by holding money in a savings account and getting a very, very small or nominal interest rate, you're actually losing purchasing power by doing nothing. So how can you combat that? We'll certainly have enough for a rainy day fund, but why not ride the success of some of the world's most innovative, interesting, necessary companies? And that's why I think, um, you know, these broad-based S&P 500 type of exchange-traded funds or ETFs are pretty vital. I will also say this. It's important not to chase. So whether the news has a bunch of green arrows on it and everyone's talking about the market hitting all-time highs or whether there's a bunch of red arrows down and people are worried about some type of recession or a crash, I think the key is consistency and to take your brain out of it. Human beings are sort of inherently irrational when it comes to things like markets. So when things are high, everyone wants in. When things are low, everyone wants out. But really, when you take a step back, the best time to buy is when everyone else is is panicking. Instead of trying to time the market, just like you might have a 401k at work or a 403b, if you can consistently, for me, on a monthly basis, put roughly the same amount of money in the same type of broad-based funds every month, and kind of set it and forget it, it takes the human psychology part out of it. And those are the traits um, that people have been successful in terms of growing uh, their net worth. Man, you just know how to break it down easily. So, so John, what, what keeps you motivated? What keeps me motivated? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I think that's, for me, it's, it's, beyond, it's beyond work. Um, you know, whether it be the news or you're reading or you live in a big city, which I do here in Houston, and you just see there's a lot of people that, have not had the same opportunities, but still have the same drive and intelligence. And I'm thinking like, okay, at one, at what point can I expand my sphere of influence and, and support? You know, I certainly love what I do, but I think what drives me is to keep putting myself in a position to be helpful for other people that are as talented, if not more talented than myself, to put them in a spot where they can be successful as well. Okay. Okay. And then, so the things that you're doing in in your life and just in general, uh, what are some things that you do to stay accountable to your goals, to your dreams, to the missions that you're, you're seeking? That's a good question. So I'd love to say that I write everything down and then I review them on a weekly or a monthly basis, but that is not the case. So (laughs) one of the things that helps me stay, that stays accountable is that I'm pretty vocal with my friends and with uh, you know, my family and my wife on what I want to do. And so people, particularly my buddies can call me out if I didn't accomplish it. So if I'm, you know, saying I want to work on this or I want to hit this goal or I want to do that, or I want to see this place or meet this person. And if I don't do it, I mean, there's people in my life that will, in a, you know, tongue in cheek, half funny, you know, half serious type of way, uh, call me out on it. So, uh, me staying accountable to myself I'm also having to be accountable for the people and my loved ones in life that, you know, won't let me, won't let me slide. So is that something you do intentionally that you, you will tell other people because you're putting it out there and you feel like you have to do it now that you've put it out there? So is that done intentionally? Uh, maybe subconsciously, but I think I'm just a, a kind of a loud, talkative guy and that I'm just pretty much an open book on 
you know, what I'm doing and, you know, what I want to do. So it's kind of a, yeah, maybe subconsciously. I, I'd love to say that I make an active effort to do that, but it's uh, something that kind of just happened. Okay. No, I think that's, uh, you know, accountability is, is key to, to getting things done. Um, and and in, in line with that, are there certain things that just inspire you? I know you've mentioned that you are always looking to put yourself in a position to, to help others. Um, is there certain things that inspire you uh, in general throughout your life? There's a handful of people that I think have really inspired me and continue to. And the traits of those folks are people who can sort of pull, put the distractions aside, figure out what, you know, what makes them tick, what makes them happy and satisfied in their life. And they proceed towards that mission irrespective of any noise that comes their way. So one example would be, I have a good buddy of mine who, you know, studied chemical engineering at a really great school, had a lot of really great opportunities to shoot the lights out in some corporate job and, you know, make gobs of money, but has made an active effort that he wants to, uh, he wants to teach high schoolers, you know, in, in a, in a public school system. And it's in the corporate world, particularly nowadays, it's easy to say, okay, well, that sounds good, but I want to buy this or I want to buy that or I want to do this. And, you know, how does this look on my LinkedIn? But the people like the person that I just mentioned who can say, you know what, that's really not important to me. The Joneses are not relevant to me. I know what I know. And the people who like me and, and love me are, are focused on my happiness. I think the folks who can parse that out. So that really inspires me because I'm still on my journey to more, you know, happiness and, and satisfaction. So the folks that already have it down and the earlier they can have it down is something that's pretty remarkable. So Jonathan, there's people that are all across the spectrum um, in their path to, to greatness, whether they want to be inspired, um, they want to stay, stay motivated. We all want to stay motivated. So I always like our guests to leave with some words of encouragement. So what do you have to say to inspire, motivate, and encourage the listeners? So I guess one thing that I'll leave you and, and the rest of your listeners with is this idea, which is also a name of a book, and it's called The Slight Edge. And I think anything in life, um, whether it gets better or gets worse, is a function of the slight edge. So it's like the little habits that you do or you don't do every single day is the difference between making your life, your relationships, your career, either move in the right direction or move in the, in the wrong direction. But I think one of the tenets of this idea of the slight edge is that you don't have to win the day all at once, whether it be fitness. If you did a push-up every single day a week and then the next week you started to do two push-ups over time, I mean, you're doing you know, 200, 300, 400 push-ups a day, but you didn't start out like that. So whether it be fitness or saving money or chipping away at whatever sort of career progression that you're trying to make at your, at your job, is a function of incremental gains on a daily basis. Now, one of the things I like to say is, you know, every day you did not go to bed the same. You either got in better shape or worse shape. You either got smarter or you got dumber. You did not stay flat. And if you don't know what you did, you know, you probably regressed a bit. So I think if you can say every day I'm going to make progress, doesn't have to be that big, just baby steps. I think that's one of the best ways to sort of slowly but surely and eventually exponentially, you know, move your life, your work and your relationships, you know, in the right direction or the one that you'll get the most uh, satisfaction out of. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful words. Ladies and gentlemen, let's all 
have these incremental gains on a daily basis. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Yep. Hey, thanks for having me. Dream big and never stop dreaming. But remember, dreams without action are just dreams and often lead to disappointment. So let's get to work. And thank you for listening to My Dream Big Clubs podcast. Please leave a review and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever podcast app you have. I'm your host, Sean Phillips. Take care.